Welcome to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women. Each week, we feature interviews, information, and inspiration that will motivate you to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. My name is Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, selfless syndrome expert, board-certified women's health coach, and alternative medicine practitioner, wife, mom, and entrepreneur. I specialize in health for busy and driven women. Listen weekly as I share the tools, perspective, and knowledge you need to lose weight, boost your energy, and fall in love with yourself so that you can serve the world with an even bigger impact. Hello, welcome back to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women. I'm your host, Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley. I'm really excited to be joined today by Dr. Nicole Kane, and she is a has a degree in clinical psychology and is also a licensed naturopathic physician in Arizona. She's been interviewed as a mental health expert in Forbes, published in Well and Good and in journals such as NDNR, has been a national speaker for PESI, and is the the founder and creator of the internationally recognized Anxiety Breakthrough Program. Her mission is to introduce a new paradigm for understanding and treating our mental health. And in her free time, she loves treasure hunting at consignment shops for Moroccan and Asian uh, antiques. So Dr. Nicole, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm excited to dive into this. You know, I think the the mental health conversation is so applicable in general, but like even more so <laughs> in 2021, which is when we're sitting down and recording this. But um, as I always do, I love to just start off with, you know, hearing a little bit of your journey and your story into, you know, how you've gotten into doing what you do and then we'll, we'll flow from there. So I love that. And so I feel like this could be such a long wandering story and I will endeavor for brevity Okay. But it begins back in the back in the 90s and it was me in a fanny pack and I loved being able to have a little first aid kit on me and if anybody ever got a little scratch or a bump or a bruise my heart was to tend to their injuries and to nurture their souls. And so the little Nicole was there with ready with a band-aid and some words of encouragement. I just loved to nurture my, my friends and my family in the little way that I knew how. And as I got older, when I was 10 years old, I started to develop symptoms of really bad asthma and I'd always had congestion and the doctors didn't really know what to do about it. So they sent me to this clinician who was trying to figure out if I actually had asthma, which I'm not sure what he would have said it was. Otherwise, if it wasn't asthma, you can breathe or you can't breathe. And I remember that the solution that was given to me is to run a test where they had me inhale a chemical that causes bronchial spasm, your bronchials are your airways. And so the chemical causes constriction of your airways and induces an asthma attack. And so if you react to the chemical and you get asthma and you're asphyxiating, they're like, Oh, you have asthma. It's been confirmed. And if you don't, I don't know what they do, but I remember sitting there in that office and this well-intended doctor in a white coat is writing on a clipboard and I'm asphyxiating, I'm suffocating and I'm scared. And my mom is just kind of like nodding, like, Oh, how interesting. And this was the beginning of my relationship with the medical community. And 
I'd always wanted to be a doctor. That fanny pack was my gateway drug into being a physician, but I didn't want to be a physician that caused asphyxiation. Right. And so I started studying different types of things like counseling and how to tend to people's souls. And so I studied a lot of psychology and psychobiology in school and my health issues got worse and worse. And so then I had asthma, I had a steroid inhaler and now butyrol inhaler. I was taking Afrin for congestion and Allegra and Allegra D and all of the things. And then I developed anxiety. And so the doctor wanted to put me on a medication for the palpitations and anxiety. And so by the time I went to college, I was on six to 10 medications and no healthier and incredibly demoralized. And so I decided to abandon pre-med altogether. And I went to counseling school. I got my degree in psychobiology. I went and I got a master's in clinical psychology. And then I hit another brick wall. And so one night I'm in my internship, I'm working as a counselor in a group rehab, and I'm working with adolescents who have drug addiction. And so it's eight o'clock at night. We're in group therapy. I'm working with these kids. We're in, we're sitting in a circle. And I remember this moment and this girl is drinking a Red Bull or a monster drink, some caffeinated beverage. And so she's talking about her addiction to cocaine and her struggles with cocaine. She's drinking Red Bull and she announces that she's really struggling with sleep and anxiety. And my brain is immediately like, well, having this caffeinated beverage at eight o'clock at night probably isn't helpful for your sleep. Maybe we could talk about that. But the feedback I received from my supervisor is that it's out of scope that as a counselor, we can't make dietary recommendations that we can't talk with them about what they're putting in their bodies, just the behavior surrounding it. And so we sent her to a psychiatrist who gave her a sleep aid. So you have this teenage developing brain who's on a drug, who's trying to recover from a drug, who's drinking stimulants and getting more and more symptoms and then put on a, a controlled substance, which now she can abuse. Right. And so I was just, Oh my gosh, my heart was just so discouraged. And I was struggling to be in the system and know that I was making a difference, but also passively condoning and what I didn't really truly believe was the best for my clients. Mm-hmm. And I got on the Google and I found naturopathic medicine and I'm, I was going to school in Illinois. I'm from Iowa. We don't have any of that weird wackadoo stuff in the Midwest at that time. And I was like, what is this? And I learned that I could get a four-year medical degree that I could take federally accredited medical board exams that I could learn everything a DO and an MD learns and preventative medicine. I was like, holy crap. And my mind was blown And within three months I'd applied, was accepted, and I was moving to the desert. And then we go to medical school and long story short, medical school is incredibly stressful. You're a doctor yourself, chiropractor. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's incredibly stressful and it's my entrepreneurial passion, right? I'm pursuing my dreams and my goals. And so I'm saying yes to all of the things and I'm burning my body out but I'm getting off of the prescriptions. I'm getting better. My congestion is better. I don't have as many more. I'm on fire. This is amazing. I graduate, I do a residency and then I open my private practice. And then I had the Epic nervous system collapse, meltdown, panic attack, crapshoot 
of the century. And that's when my life changed. And I really leaned into my graduate school training and counseling. And so then for the past decade, I've been helping people who are high achievers, who are maybe Enneagram type threes, who really push and drive and dig and yet their bodies or their minds or their spirits are struggling. And my zone of genius is to try to help people conquer so that they can live the life that they were put on this planet to live. So that's the long story short, my story. I love it. We have a lot of parallels in our story, actually. Really? Yeah. Like, I'll, and I've talked about it some on the show, but just to <laughs> draw people in, because I we speak to women who are similar to us on this show. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine, you know, at 12, I developed asthma, allergies, and eczema on my hand. I found out later I actually had a vaccine injury. But, you know, by the time I went to college, I was on an albuterol inhaler. I, I couldn't, I was an athlete. I couldn't, you know, exercise without shooting steroids down my throat. Basically. Um, Mm -hmm. I had super bad allergies. I had headaches all the time. I started getting allergy shots while I was in school. I was on Allegra and all that, all that stuff. Right. And my, my turning point was actually when I started getting adjusted. And so that's part of what left, led me to chiropractic school. Cause my, you know, I also changed my diet majorly at the same time. So I think both things went hand in hand, but I went for a run one day and didn't eat my inhaler anymore. And I, you know, my headaches cleared up and I was like, Oh, there's like this whole life where I don't need medication. It's amazing. So, you know, we all, it's always interesting to me, just the journeys that we all go on. Cause I've talked to, you know, other medical doctors and whatnot who are just so disheartened by the system, um, which, you know, is there to ideally help. We've just kind of lost sight of that. I think so we don't have to have that conversation, but <laughs> let's, you know, for those who are listening to this, that maybe are stuck in that place that, that we were where, and I, you know, I went on to have anxiety and panic attacks and a terrible first marriage and, um, went through stuff with my business and practice as well. So, you know, it's learning to undo a lot of bad habits, I think, and, and really shift our mindset and like how we approach life. So I'll, I'll let you lead, like, where, where do we start? How do we start creating this breakthrough and not suffering as the high performer? I think the first step is a, is a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. The paradigm of the, the dominant medical model for better or for worse is symptom bad, make it go away. Yeah. And I could, I mean, I can relate. Like if I'm having asthma, like give me that albuterol. I want to breathe. I get that. And I think the paradigm shift demands that we put a comma at the end of that sentence is yes, use life-saving measures, but always ask why. Yeah. And I think chiropractic really, really does that. It's like, okay, what in the body may be out of balance? Where's the subluxation? Where is the muscle pulling on the bone and the nerve being cramped? And then that's not feeding the organs. And so the question is always to put a comma at the end of the sentence and to ask why. Yeah. And My philosophy is, I call it vital resiliency and vital resiliency is defined as vitality, which is to be fully alive and resiliency is to be resilient against stressors, whether it's environmental or emotional or physical so that you can be fully alive despite what's going on in your world and in your life. And so if that's suddenly our bullseye or our metric, when we see a symptom we ask why we say, okay, so there's something that's 
holding this person back from feeling vital, from being fully alive. Mm -hmm. And then there's something that they're not resilient to, that their body is getting pushed out of balance or their mind is getting pushed out of balance from. And then we have this opportunity for exploration of why they may feel the way they feel. And then the treatment changes. So I feel like in answer to your question, we have to start with a paradigm shift where, yeah. yeah. What were you going to say? No, totally. Um, well, <laughs> and like getting to the root, like even, you know, on for the most part, when women I work with get to the point of actually like having a consult with me, they're like, no, I really want to find like the root of like, what's going on, what is causing this? Like, why, you know, why do I get sick all the time? Or why am I having anxiety or why, you know, just asking why. And that's, I think that curiosity is the most important thing, but I'll still come across the person who's like, oh, I just need the supplement or I just need, like, you know, I'm like, no, <laughs> but okay. And I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with this, this too, but there is, you know, we have to approach our health differently is like the first step and you have to, and it takes work. It's not just about the magical pill that's going to make you feel better, but not really help solve any of your problems. So, and I really want to emphasize what you're saying, because a lot of people define integrative medicine or naturopathic medicine as using natural substances, mm. but it's not necessarily the tool that you use, but the reason for using the tool. Yes. And so I think about, so I'm, let's say I have a headache and if I have a headache and I go and I just go to the pharmacist at Walgreens and I say, Hey, what can I take for a headache? They say, Oh, you could take ibuprofen. And so I take the ibuprofen and I feel better. And some people will say, well, you can, for a headache, you can take turmeric. It's anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen, but really the paradigm shift would say, well, why do you have a headache? We'll say, okay, well, I have a headache because I'm dehydrated. And then someone would say, well, rehydrate. But if we say even deeper, like, well, why are you dehydrated? Oh, well, I've been crying all day. And someone would say, well, then you got to like CBT yourself out of not crying. So suddenly the treatment changes, right? And so if you even go deeper than that, you say, well, why have you been crying all day? Well, I lost my beloved dog, right? And so then suddenly the treatment for a headache is tending to the loss. It's tending to the grief mm -hmm. as opposed to just taking an ibuprofen. And so to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying is some people say, well, I just need a pill. I want the turmeric or I want the enzyme or I want the fish oil. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so you can take that but why, what's happening? Why are you needing that? What's causing your body to go out of balance in such a way that that's a, that's an issue. Yeah. I love it. There's so many things that so many directions we could go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the one that's like at the forefront is, you know, just talking about symptoms. Like we've been so trained in society that a, you know, we normalize things, especially with headaches. Like that's just an example. It's like, oh, well, it's normal that I get headaches three times a week. No, it's not like our bodies were not born to have headaches. That's, that's not a thing. So I, you know, I love that just kind of examining and going layers deeper. And the other piece of that is like a symptom I feel like is like the kind of the outermost layer that we're most aware of, but there's so much more. And a lot of that might be buried kind of, you know, in our subconscious or like, we're not even aware of it, but that's actually the thing that's driving that. So I don't know if you want to expand on that anyway, but uh. I think that's such a good point is, is what is the symptom? Is the symptom just an annoying attribute that we just got to ignore or make it go away? 
And I think that's really kind of the predominant thing. It's like, oh, if I didn't have symptoms, then uh, yeah, I would just feel better. If I wasn't fatigued, can you just make me not fatigued and drink all the coffee and all the tea? And so I think that what you're kind of pointing out is redefining how we perceive a symptom. And then what are we doing with that? And so I, I like the metaphor of, and I talked about this back in like 2016, 2015, like years ago about how our symptoms are canaries. And mm. back in the day, maybe your listeners have heard this sounds like you have is back in the day they had coal mines, right? right. And when they're mining different substances, it could release these toxic gases, these toxic fumes, and people would die in the mines because you like carbon monoxide, you can't smell it. So what they would do is they would put a canary in the coal mine. And if the canary died or showed distress, then they knew that there was something wrong and they could get out. And so the canary was telling us, it's kind of like a whistleblower. It's telling us that there's a problem. So your symptoms are telling you that something's out of balance. The headache wasn't the problem in that example. The headache was telling us with a symptom on the outside, that surface, like you said, that yeah. there's something deeper that needed tending. Yeah. I love that. And when you start tending the deeper, it's really interesting what, you know, starts to change and transform in your life. I see this, you know, with my clients, with myself, with, with lots of people. So like opening Pandora's box, right? It really is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like one of the stories I share is I, I do a lot with um, kind of gut health and renewal and, and we cleanse parasites and that. And I had a client who, you know, this is gross. So I apologize if you don't want to listen to this, just plug your ears for one second, but she, she pooped out and got out nine and a half feet of biofilm and like parasites and growth. And she was really into it. So she had this whole like measuring system with gloves and plastic and all this stuff. And she brought me some in a jar. But, um, what was really interesting to me was as soon as like, she, she kind of hit this moment of just like feeling like energetic and clear and like empty space. And then she's like, Oh, I'm ready to process the trauma from 40 years ago that I've never dealt with in my life. And so she's been on this whole journey with that. And, you know, as a result is like suddenly started releasing all this weight. Like it's just been so cool to see, but there's this willingness that we have to have to kind of go there. And I, and maybe we can talk about this, like, especially in the U S I, I lived abroad for a semester and kind of had my eyes open to just kind of this different perspective on health and life and all that, where would they actually slow down and like rest? And we don't have that in our setup in our society. So we're kind of like going against the grain to really be okay with like making ourselves important and tuning into ourselves in a way that we can actually start to unravel some of this stuff. Um, I don't know what I you think want that's to add, scary. But... I think that's like, it it's like Schrodinger's cat comes to mind. Um, Schrodinger's cat is this philosophical conversation about there's a cat in a box. And before you open the lid of the box, the cat can either be alive or dead. You don't know. And so the possibilities are there until you open the box. And I think about that in the healing journey is it's like, it could be really dark and icky and yucky and awful and scary and painful in there, or it could be okay. But sometimes the unknowing is more painful and scary than the known. So somebody may be having panic attacks and I'm encouraging them to do the inner work and to start looking at the why of the panic attacks. And they're like, but it's so much scarier what I may uncover. And I would just rather have the reliability of panic attacks. And so I think that that kind of lends to what you're talking about with American culture is that we are so busy 
doing all of the things that it doesn't allow for the space to kind of let the air out slowly. I'm, I'm kind of imagining the, like a big soda can or a soda bottle where if you just take the lid off, it'll all explode out versus in the UK and Spain and these places where they have space to have a siesta and to rest where it's kind of like eeping it out little by little. And so I think you're really hitting the nail on the head about our culture, how our culture of busyness can be an obstacle to doing the inner work, thus necessitating often these palliative measures like antidepressants or ibuprofen or albuterol inhalers, because we just simply don't have the space to do the work or we're not making the space. Yeah. And I know what was key for me, and maybe you can share some of, because we have similar stories, you know, kind of your realization, but I, it took me recognizing, and I still have to remind myself about this, you know, because especially when you're a busy, high-performing woman, and I, I think we're really capable of like staying really busy, but we're not always doing things that really, truly actually matter, but we try to convince ourselves that they do. So that's one thing. <laughs> but the second is, you know, I finally recognized and have been training myself that like, you know, this matters and is important for me to take the time to meditate or to go for a walk or to, you know, do whatever it is that it's like those things that we struggle to make time for all the time. We have to change the priority that we give them and, you know, retrain our brain to say, no, I'm not going to be any good at this other thing that I'm trying to do. If I don't, you know, deal with myself. Um, I don't know. Thinking about there. I'm, I'm thinking about what you said, like why this matters. And I'm, I'm kind of imagining your audience and you may have listeners that are hearing this podcast and they're, they're thinking, oh my gosh, I've had panic attacks and I've had nervous breakdowns and I've had digestive upset and I've had headaches and all of the symptoms. And then there may be another facet of your audience where they're like, things are pretty good. And I just want to be more amazing. I want to achieve greater things. I'm really motivated. And so it's like, are we starting at a place of momentum and how can we increase that momentum? Or are some of your audience listeners kind of starting at like, I feel like I'm six feet underground and I really have this burning desire and I just can't get out of, I just can't get caught up. And so I think about the, the why, why is it important? Like you're talking about And I think that it's vital resiliency is the reason for that. It's that inside of us, we all have this fire. We have this like thing inside of us. Like if you, if you kind of look within and you're just like, oh my gosh, like there's so many things that I want to do. I want to make meaning. I have things that I want to share. I want to be remembered for this. I I can't stand the way this system is in this way. And I want to change it. Whatever it is that's driving you is that you have this fire inside and that fire is burning. And the thing is, is that if we don't let that fire out, then it will burn us from the inside. Yeah. And so I think the important part of having this conversation and being willing to look at the cat in the box or being willing to open Pandora's box or being willing to do the inner work is that it is a way to send that fire outward. It's a way to free yourself up. Like your person that you were working with where when she had finally literally dumped out all of that stuff that her body was holding onto, it's like, suddenly she has this freedom to do the next step. Yeah. And I, I think that's huge for the different entrepreneurs or different high-performing people that are listening to this podcast to hear is like what inside of you is burning and wants to be set free. And what do you need to do to release that? 
I love it. I'm kind of getting chills as we talk about this. So <laughs> I hope other people are too, because, you know, what I'm always like in awe of is just how powerful we really are, especially women. And, you know, we downplay that so much and just let all this stuff burden us. And, you know, just, I, and I think a lot of it is many of us are actually scared of that thing that's, that's inside of us, but if you can find the courage to like turn and look at that and look in the box and, you know, and get through whatever crap comes up. I'm, I'm always kind of, I don't, I I don't know what the good word is, but startled, I guess, struck by how many women I know who've been through some level of trauma, like, you know, that has held us back or that we buried or that, you know, is, is in the way of us really expressing and being who we truly are, which is, sounds like we both are kind of about all that. And, how we work with people. But. And like thinking about the trauma piece that you're talking about is I have a lot of people come to me and I'm like, babe, that's trauma. And they're like, absolutely not. Like world war two is trauma. The Holocaust is trauma. Me going through this isn't trauma. And to redefine, I think if we like really stop and look at the research and what trauma is, is trauma is anything that overwhelms the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And overwhelming the nervous system in such a way that the nervous system has to adapt to that. And the way that I focus on my, my practice is I do a lot of ego state work and EMDR work, which are two therapeutic philosophies, EMDR founded by Francine Shapiro in the 1980s and is since been recognized as the number one form of trauma therapy that we have. And then ego state is a branch off of that, that starts to look at how our nervous system adapts to stressors, to traumas. And so for example, maybe somebody grew up myself, right? Maybe somebody grew up in a household where the parents were very focused on their lives, their own things, very authoritarian. And the only way that you got love or approval is to achieve. So if I can get a straight A, if I can be the top performer in the sports league, if I can do the best at whatever it is that I'm doing, then suddenly my life is valuable. And so that could, your nervous system can take that data and then produce, like I said, an Enneagram three, which is the achiever and can produce this ego state that may be then functioning in the rest of your life is when you're burning the candles at both ends, but you can't stop because then suddenly this ego state that you've had since you were 12 Mm -hmm. is, is too afraid of that. And so I think that can be a huge conversation about what is underneath that needs to do the healing. What is that trauma? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So interesting. I'm just, uh, I'm totally (laughs) three also like you, you know, there's so many things that parallel. And I think like, it's really interesting to get into, you know, what does hold us back and like doing the work to start identifying some of that. That's actually where I start people in my program is like, we work through, okay. Like what's, you know, what's the driving fear? What is the thing we're really afraid of? And I don't know if you've read, um, Gail Hendricks book, the big leap, but this pretty much comes up like every other episode that I (laughs) do an interview on, you know, but, you know, getting into like our, our fears and and what's driving that. And then really finding our zone of genius, which you mentioned yours. So, and the fear is an invitation to what you needed to adapt to. So it's, if, Mm -hmm. if I have a fear of poverty and 
my money mindset is that I can't just be in poverty. And then suddenly I'm sad because I'm not making the the financial gains that I desire. But my anxiety is like, what if I'm in poverty? And there's always this mindset that one of the ways to approach it is to, well, how can we change your mindset? But the, another way to approach it, or maybe even a comma is, okay, you have this mindset. Why do you have this mindset? This mindset has been adaptive for you in some way. What is it adapting to? Because if we can go in to that trauma, if we could go in to why you had to have that adaptive mindset to begin with and clear that, then it saves you a whole lot of work on trying to retrain your brain, how to think in the way that you want it to think, because it's suddenly back into this place of vitality and resiliency, and it will naturally fall into that state. Yeah. And that's, that's like the stuff of life like that, that could be really hard and painful though, is to be like, okay, well, my childhood was, was hard. And why do I have to think about my childhood when I'm trying to get to six figures in my business? Well, is it, is it a part of your story? Is it a part of your prologue? Is it a part of what's gotten you to where you are now? And how can we reverse engineer that so that it isn't holding you back anymore? Yeah. I love that. And, you know, just speaking from like the entrepreneurial journey, I know women who listen to the show, some of them are are more career oriented, but I think regardless, um, I know for me becoming an entrepreneur was like the most challenging level of just like personal development and realizing that I really had to show up differently and like learn how to lead and a whole, like I I already kind of was a leader on, on some level, but like leading a team of 12 people, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> I'll just say that. Like that challenged me on so many levels, but in a really good way because you know we work through and really grow through this stuff. And there's there's a saying that like there's what you know what you know and you know what you don't know, right? But there's this whole other side of like what we don't even know we don't even know. And it's you know we're kind of talking about being open and having the possibility of just like new perspective and and things coming into your life so that you can start to kind of move into a new way of being ultimately, but that's, that's very Socrates of you. <laughs> <laughs> I got that from a leadership, uh, like personal growth seminar that I did. Um, and actually it was a leader for, for a while, but yeah. So for those listening who are like, kind of just, this is, well, and I, I do, I think we have both, both types of women listening to the show. There are those who are like, this is all new. And they're like, you know, six feet under, like you said, and those who maybe have been doing some of this work for a while, but is there, you know, a place that we start or like, I know I plateau, I'll, I'll be like, you know, this year, I really haven't had any massive, like, I kind of love the, it's hard and painful to do the work, but I love like what comes on the other side. And so when I don't have a year where I have major growth of some sort, I'm like, Hmm, what did I miss this year? <laughs> like, you know, let's, let's dig in there. So for those who are maybe plateaued or are just starting, like, where do we start digging? Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Oh, I love that question. Because I, I really resonate with that. And that's, that was the beginning of the end for me Well, the beginning of the end (laughs) of that chapter, right. Is is I was growing a private practice. I was doing all of the things. There's this really great book that I highly recommend every entrepreneur reads is it's called, um, it's by Greg McNone. It's called essentialism. And just told me about this on another, really? Yeah. I need to write it down. It changed my life. It was so good. And he talks about how we are often doers of all and masters of none. 
which is often me. And that's, yep. that's <laughs> and many like, <laughs> we're like doing all of the things. And especially as we're building a new business is we don't have the, the finances oftentimes to like hire out branding and hire out someone to answer the phones and hire out, um, PR and all the, all the things. Right. And so as, as beginning entrepreneurs, oftentimes we do all of that. Or if you're a seasoned, you know, high performing person is maybe you just don't like to delegate because you want it done the way that you want it done. And so I can resonate with that as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think about first and foremost is to really do a zoom out, zoom in. And so on the zoom out is looking at what are your signs of success and how are you measuring your success? And there are external measures and then there are internal measures. And so external measures are, um, am I in the red or in the black? Did I do this many conversions or did I bring in this much revenue or did I create X amount of additional locations if I have a brick and mortar or did my social media following grow by X percent? So there's those external measures, but then there's those internal measures. And that's where I'm more interested in because for me, my business grew by, you know, three to nine hundred, 300 to 900%. And yet I still felt inadequate and I still struggled with feeling like an imposter and I still struggled with fear of poverty. Mm. And so my internal struggle was, it's not enough. It's not enough. And where are the gaps and where are the holes? And then suddenly I was doing all of the things. I wasn't mastering any of it. And then the objective numbers actually started to begin to go down. And so then I become more frenzied and I'm thinking, what am I missing? What am I doing wrong? When really had I started with a zoom out, zoom in, looked at the bigger picture and then looked at my inner experience, I think it would have been quite game changing in that year of business where it ended up becoming a shit show. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) It was also, and my past self like hates it when my current self says this, but it was actually a really profoundly valuable experience to hit rock bottom. And then, you know, it's kind of like becoming a mosaic of glass. It's like you're shattering the glass of what you think and what you believe and who you are and how you feel. And then you have to pick up the rubble and start over, but you can create something really cool when starting over. And so doing that zoom in is looking at really how are you gauging your value? How are you gauging your success? And I think there are practical ways to do that. And I think working with a coach, working with somebody like you who does support high achieving women, I think is really profoundly helpful, but just simply doing daily journaling can be game changing. Yeah. And so if you have somebody who's listening right now and she's like, okay, you guys have been like very Vata, like very up in the clouds, very esoteric. Like, can you just give me something practical that I can start doing right now? And number one is I would say, start journaling and journal the stuff, the stuff, the garbage, like the, the feelings, the doubts, the insecurities, the obstacles, what are you worrying about? Yeah. Um, when I journal, I'm very type a, right. So I'm like today, the weather was this, this is how much a <laughs> gallon of milk costs. And I'm like, who the fuck cares? Like, why am I <laughs> president Biden is doing this? Like uh, nobody cares. What I really would love to see is like 
I'm struggling with feelings of insecurity. And today I had this conversation and it brought up this in me because then later I can look at it with a counselor or a mentor or my future self and be like, okay, let's figure out this. Let's explore this. What part is this? How is this feeling adaptive or how was it adaptive? And how can we support that unmet need now so that you're not ending up doing all of the things and feeling plateaued or maybe even going downhill? Yeah. Ooh, I love it. It's so good. And unmet needs is a whole other conversation that like <laughs> you probably don't have time for, but you know, we also, we try to meet them with food. We try to meet them with, you know, yeah. chocolate. We try to meet them. Like there's so many different ways that we're, and if we would just slow down long enough to look at what's this really coming from. Yeah. And if I have an unmet need and maybe my high achieving, high performing self is trying to meet another unmet need, is that really sending me in the direction that I want. Like you talked about it, the beginning of our conversation today is you ended up in this entrepreneurial thing that may have been great for somebody else, but it wasn't what set your soul on fire. Yeah. And so was there an unmet need that that was endeavoring to meet, but it wasn't really what your soul needed, you know? Yeah. And I think there definitely was, and I'm still like three years later <laughs> working through, you know, the layers of, of peeling that back, but you know, similar, I like 2019 was when I hit rock bottom. It's like, I bought this building. I sank all of our financial resources into it as the business. We were debt-free. Like I was debt-free personally and in the business at that point. And, um, long story short, like literally everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Like the insurance industry tanked. We went cash overnight. I wasn't able to pay employees and ended up losing all, all 12 of my employees. Cause I just, you know, we were, we were floundering in the middle of that. I had a uh, surgery on my wrist and I'm a chiropractor and it was just like, okay, is there like any kind of relief? And I'm actually just, you know, will be, I'm, I'm really transparent on this show. So, you know, Probably. I hit the point of that, that business. I just finally filed for bankruptcy um, earlier this fall because I hit the point where I was like, I'm exhausted. I'm having anxiety attacks again. I, you know, it's not like I'm trying to be a bad steward or anything. We just ended up in this hole that mm-hmm. we couldn't get out of. I mean, then COVID happened. Like it was just thing after thing after thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. And, you know, I just had this moment of clarity, like, it's okay. You know, I can't have a new business support the old business debt load and like think that I'm going to, you know, (laughs) live and be healthy and all, all the things I put on almost 50 pounds in the process of all that stress. Like it's, and I think we have to, when you're willing to just like accept where you're at and breathe and then look up. And I love that, you know, image of picking up the pieces and kind of putting this mosaic back together and, when you can step outside of, you know, all the stories and making it mean something or like your failure or like all the crap that we tell ourselves, you know, there's, there's much of it. And I I'm coming up against like, there's still some of that there for me that I probably need to journal about and whatnot, but yeah, you know, there's so much on the, on the other side. That's so great. <laughs> so Well, and I so admire your transparency and honesty about that because I'm an anxiety freedom expert who had an anxiety nervous breakdown Yeah, and And so I think that having that authenticity with other people, because it's so common, so many people are struggling. And yet when we go on social media, it's like good vibes only. Right. And (laughs) that bothers the heck out of me. In fact, I I own two counseling practices and one of them, I want to get a giant neon sign. And I want to say all vibes welcome, because I think that 
there's so much power in the pain that there's so much power in acknowledging our suffering. And a lot of people will say, okay, Nicole, well, that sounds all beautiful and pretty, but it's really dark and it's really awful. And they'll express to me, I'm so afraid that it will take me away. Like what if, what if the depression kills me or what if the, the anxiety, what if I go insane? And there's so much fear of feeling and there's so much, I have to therapize it away. There's so much, this pain is a problem. I have to make the pain go away. And so, all right, you're telling me to journal. I'm in a journal because I need the pain to go away. But I would, I would argue that actually allowing yourself to be in the pain, it's kind of like, it's like undertow. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in San Diego right now, right? Yeah. And yeah. so if you go, if you're, if you go out into the ocean and you get in the water, if there's an undertow, it can pull you down. It can pull you down under the water. And even if you're a fantastic swimmer, the undertow can pull you down and just shoot you down the, down along the coast. Right. And what we found is that if you just allow your body to relax and let the water just shoot you wherever it needs to go, you're way better off than if you fight it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying to, as your listeners are hearing this, I'm not saying to just give in to despair. I'm not saying to let depression take over your life. I'm not saying to just have all of the panic attacks, but allow yourself to feel and to notice that. And so you went through this in 2019, this deeply difficult, this deeply traumatic experience. And there's so much power in allowing your nervous system to be in that space, because what we will find is that that wave is going to come in and it's going to get really big and it's going to be overwhelming and it's going to be over you. And then the feelings will pass. It always does. The feelings will pass and the wave will go back out. And so as, as your listeners are hearing this, if you are going through something is just allow yourself to be in that space. And when you're journaling, journal that space and then put it in a protective box and put it away just, mm-hmm. I think of like eagle waffle brain versus spaghetti brain. Have you ever heard that? No, <laughs> tell me about this. <laughs> That's interesting. It's, I don't tend to subscribe to like gender specific metaphors, but I feel like a lot of my clients really are like this, where they say that the multitasker, the mom, she's also an entrepreneur or doing all the things. She has a spaghetti brain. So it's like, I can be thinking about my kid's schedule at the same time as I'm thinking about the agenda for my employees. Right. Right. Spaghetti brain, all Mm -hmm. of the things. Versus an ego waffle brain, they often say it's like I go and the the guy will watch the football game and he's watching the game and like nothing else. He doesn't think about anything else. Yeah. He's like no clue what's happening. And so if we can learn to have ego waffle brains where it's like, okay, I do a zoom out, spaghetti out, right? And I notice all of the things and I see the objectives, I see all of the things, and then you do a zoom in. And if you can zoom into that ego waffle, zoom into that suffering, I'm in that box, I'm noticing, I opened Schrodinger's cat box, I opened Pandora's box, I'm in there, I'm doing the work, I'm feeling the feels. And then pop yourself out of that ego waffle box. I call it a plotline pivot, or you could call it a pattern interrupt or a redirect Yeah, where you mindfully say, okay, I've done the work. I've eaten a little bit of that soda pressure, putting that lid box back on, and I'm just going to put it away and I'm not going to worry about it right now. And then you pop into whatever next ego waffle hole you need to be in. I like it. I have heard the difference between men and women's brains. I just never heard it described that way. So I like food. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. And, you know, and I think being able to, it's not, I mean, it's compartmentalizing sort of, but it's, you know, you're still like acknowledging and being with it. And I, I think that's, it's a really powerful and important thing. Like we, so, you know, we don't want to take time for our feelings. We don't want to feel the things we don't want to go into that because it's scary. And sometimes emotions are overwhelming and, you know, whatever, but I have found like 2019 wasn't actually, I, I had a low point before that in 2016, where, you know, I found myself literally sobbing on a bathroom floor, not sure how I was going to get back up. And that was kind of when I, I've been a Christian for a long time, but that was where I was like, Oh, God is real. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got me up. Not like I'm trying to push anything on anybody, but you know, allowing myself to just be in and like creating the surroundings where if I needed to just go cry for half an hour, an hour, I could do that. Like just, you know, mm-hmm. that was, as I was going through my divorce and a few other things. Um, that's, we've got to be willing to step into making that time. Um, even if it's just short little, little bursts. Yeah. It still makes a difference. So I use, um, especially if the bursts come out in anger, sometimes people they'll like shower cry or car cry. You know, there's like, we have outlets for crying, but a lot of times people will tell me like, I don't know what to do. And I'm pissed off. I want to punch a hole in the wall, but I can't do that. And so it's like, where do we put our anger? And I have my favorite strategy and I just discovered my favorite strategy for anger. Cause if you punch a pillow, it's very unsatisfying. And you can't punch a hole in the wall because then you have to clean it up. You can't break something because you have to clean it up. And every other way of being destructive and like letting that that physical anger and frustration out is just socially unacceptable. And so my favorite way of doing it is all y'all who are listening, get water balloons, fill them with water, put them in the freezer. And then when you're really upset and you have all sorts of pent up energy and rage is take that water balloon out and go outside and rail on it with a hammer. It's the most amazing, satisfying experience. So highly recommended. I love that. That sounds awesome. My big thing was we sword fighting, actually, if anybody needs another idea, there was something about just like taking that wand and like beating up a fictional character on the TV. That was amazing for me. I love that. That's such a good idea. Is having these ways that we can lean into it is leaning into the, my nervous system has adrenaline and it has cortisol. And it's, if we don't let it out and move that energy out of us, either we're going to become frenzied workaholics, or we're going to become anxious or we're going to get headaches or stomach upset or whatever it is. And so if you can come up with creative outlets, for letting some of that energy out can be game changing. So like the wee swords, you said beating up an ice block balloon. (laughs) Yeah. Exercise. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I feel like we could talk, you know, for probably three days. about I try to try to keep these bite sized for everybody. So, um, I know you're on Instagram, but where, where can our listeners go to connect with you specifically if they want a little more Dr. Nicole in their life? I would be delighted to connect with your listeners and Instagram is the place where we're the most active. We respond to every comment and DM. And so that's at Dr. Nicole Kane. Um, and the link in the bio above is I have tons of free resources. So if you are stressed or if you have anxiety, I have a ton of free stuff. So take advantage of that. And then I have a YouTube channel. And so if you just want to hear me talking about different topics that are interesting, you can check out that too. Awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on and, you know, having, this has been a little bit of a different conversation from what I usually have on here. So it's been fun for me. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as well. And I just appreciate you and having you on. So I so appreciate you sister and all the work that you're doing. And I just honor you and your transparency. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women, where we provide you with the tools, information, and inspiration you need to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and also leave us a review. Also, I don't want to be working with you on your health only once or twice a week. I want to be in this conversation and in the trenches with you every single day. I invite you to join me in the Emergent Women Community Group on Facebook for the chance to interact with me live once a week and even more information, inspiration, and motivation to transform your health and become the vibrant, energetic, and on-fire version of yourself we all know is under there. Until next time, remember to keep putting yourself first so that you can better serve the ones you love and the things you are passionate about. Mm -hmm.